Chapter 23, The Golden Crescent Water as blue as the summer sky stretched beneath us, and giant ships dotted the sea. Yachts and super yachts, ocean liners and huge oval hover ships with domes that sparkled and rippled like bubbles in the sun, every single one of them large enough to make the Titanic blush. Ruby-red symbols on their sides blazed when the sunlight reflected off them, but they were too dazzling to make out. And that was just the driveway. Are those palaces? I asked. My voice came out in a whisper, as if I didn't want to interrupt the painter who was creating the scene below. Yep. Ayana's voice sounded grim for some reason, but I didn't ask why. I stared greedily, drinking in the glamorous world we were descending into. The Golden Crescent wasn't a place. It was a spectacle. The coastal city was shaped like an arc that grew thinner on both ends until the tips stabbed into the sea. Two pearl lighthouses with massive crystals on their tops stood at the end of each crescent point. Dark mountains rose out of the horizon, angry, sharp peaks that chewed at the sky, a mouth threatening to devour the glistening jewel in front of it. And I mean, this town glistened. Rose-gold sand met the turquoise sea in a clash of vibrant fury. In the distance, near the city center, spires of midnight black and dream silver stood proudly next to ivory domes and marble castles, massive homes bigger than any mansion I'd ever seen along Lakeshore Drive at home, bigger, in fact, than the museums we traveled to on field trips, lined city streets so wide you could play football from curb to jeweled, encrusted curb. The streets curved up and around as the ground rose away from the coast like a spiral, and there, at the top of a hill, the grandest palace of all awaited. We angled down toward a giant marina, where more yachts of weird shapes and sizes floated. One had two stories, like a double-decker bus, except the windows were see-through bubbles. Inside, a water fado splashed in a grotto, while a spiraling water slide connected it to the bottom level, where a miniature beach awaited. That's so cool, I said as we passed it. If I had that... I'd never leave Lake Michigan. A winding road led from the marina to a huge square of polished marble, and that's where Ayana steered the raft. More symbols, like those painted on the sides of the ships, were carved into the ground. I gulped as I recognized one, and a drinka, the same as on my bracelet and on Eddie's journal. The raft settled down in the middle of the landing space with a gentle bump. Let's go, Gumbaby said, but Ayana shook her head. Not yet. But we're not dashing off anywhere. You could get lost, or something even worse might happen. Ayana passed out gear as we waited, and I raised my eyebrows as Gumbaby scampered behind a pile of supplies. Ayana nudged my arm and handed me an empty satchel. What's this for? I asked. For the story box. I'm not carrying that thing. I crossed my arms. Oh, so I have to carry the stolen goods? Nice. Real nice. Well, gum baby ain't doing it, bumble tongue, the doll said, popping back into view. So don't even fix your mouth to suggest it. I began to snap with the little loud mouth, but stopped when I saw what she was wearing. Ayana noticed it at the same time. Um, GB? What? Gum baby was now in a black cape over tiny black pants and a thin black blouse. Her hair was pulled back in a tiny bun. She posed dramatically with the cape extended. 
Don't let Gumbaby scare you, she said. It's just for stealth. Gumbaby gonna be the wind, no lightning. Wait, is lightning stealthy? Wind makes a whoosh sound, but lightning sort of cracks, don't it? Yeah, Gumbaby is wind lightning, gonna whoosh crack all over the place. She ran around the raft, making whoosh sounds, and I sighed. Chestnut stood on her hind paws and dropped the pencil she had been using to sketch on the raft. Okay, I'm ready. A map of the city covered the wooden planks, and I whistled silently at the amount of detail Chestnut had managed to fit in. Palace-lined streets, parks and fountains, spires and towers, all were labeled in neat and legible handwriting. Arrows pointed toward one palace larger than all the others, so large it took up half the map, and I gulped. This was becoming too real. We actually planned on stealing a god's treasure, Nyami, the sky god, the one who first created stories and who'd awarded them to Anansi after the weaver had completed three seemingly insurmountable tasks. I rubbed my forehead and took a deep breath. Man, oh man. Ayana slipped on her backpack, then stepped on Gumbaby's cape to stop her zooming. Ayana wagged a finger at her and said, Hush, time to plan our attack. Chestnut looked at each of us and twitched her nose. Okay, listen up. This is how it's going to go. The plan went down the drain 15 minutes in. Our group split up, with each pair taking one of the two main avenues leading to Naomi's estate. I got partnered with Gumbaby. Typical. Instead of creeping stealthily down an unfamiliar street surrounded by unfamiliar buildings while trying to steal the most valuable treasure in an unfamiliar city, guess what I was doing? Yep. Arguing with a ten-inch doll. No, you cannot leave a sap trail. I hissed as she moped behind me. Now come on. But what if monsters chase us through the city and we need to find our way back, huh? What then? You ain't heard of precautionary measures? First off, it's precautionary measures. First off, sap attack. Gumbaby knows the phrase. But if you don't want to die, it's precautionary. Fool. Gumbaby know what words you want to use. I gritted my teeth and wiped off the ball of sap she'd flung at my face. Just come on, we're almost there. We walked up a slight hill following a simple map Chestnut had drawn on a scrap of paper. We'd passed several palaces, each grander and more luxurious than the last. But it was all very eerie. The streets were deserted. No people poked their heads out of their massive homes to investigate the intruders. No kids ran along the streets playing with their friends. No gossip or chatter or movement in the streets or market day traffic or block party or any other community-based event. Nothing. Gumbaby's voice broke the silence. Hey, look at this. She had climbed the stairs to a vine-covered palace across the street and stood peeking through the towering front gate. A small copper statue of a girl stood on a tiny ivory column, both hands frozen on her hips. I know it didn't make sense, but I felt eyes on me as I walked up the steps, and I looked over my shoulder uneasily. Gum baby, I said from several feet away. I don't think we should... Too late, she announced loudly, and she wrapped the base of the statue. You too scared, Bumbletongue. Who goes there? Gumbaby squeaked, scrambled up the statue, and hastily clapped a sticky hand over its mouth, shushing the indignant copper girl doorbell. Shh! Sap attack! You're gonna get us in trouble! Two sap attacks! 
The statue seemed to glare at us from behind a layer of sap covering her face. Gum baby, get down from there, I stage whispered. She flapped a hand at me, sending sticky drops of sap everywhere. Come over here, she said impatiently. I growled something I probably wouldn't say anywhere near Nana and stocked up the rest of the stairs. Two more statues posed on either side of the gate, and they made my neck itch. I felt like they were watching me trespass. I crouched down beside Gum Baby and tried not to gawk at the size of everything around me. The entry arches, which stood as tall as John Henry, were copper trees with silhouettes of tiny people in motion on the top. Look! Gum Baby pointed beyond the arches to a courtyard where there was a small grove of real trees. A monstrous sycamore stood in the middle, so large that it shaded the entire ground. I cocked my ear. Do you hear that? Hear what? Faint whistling sounded from deep within the tiny forest. A lot of whistling. It was like birds calling back and forth and them joining together in a loud, trilling chorus. That, I said. Gum Baby shook her head. Nope, clean your ears, Bumble Tongue, and maybe that'll fix it. The whistling grew louder and closer, and I licked my lips nervously. Something's coming. Then Gummy, Gum Baby did look around uneasily. What is it? I don't know. Maybe we should go. Don't worry. Gum Baby will protect you. But as she said that, she tried to hide between my legs. I was already backing away. That forest felt ancient. Neither good nor bad, but powerful. I wanted no part of that right now. Not with everything else that was going on. My feet were turning to the street on their own, and who was I to stop them? My name was Tristan. Nope, I'm gone. Bumble Tongue. Quit being such a scaredy cat, Bumble Tongue. Ooh, Gum Baby gonna get you. Don't you leave Gum Baby alone in here. We met up with Hayana and Chestnut at a giant plaza filled with mountains disguised as statues and flowering bushes shaped to look like animals. Gum Baby was still fuming, but I felt nothing except relief. A boy can only take so much. The air was filled with the aroma of springtime, and if it weren't for the overwhelming silence, it would have been peaceful. Our footsteps echoed as we met in the middle of the open space. Guess we didn't need to split up, Ayana admitted. I'd like to say a smug smile didn't appear on my face, but you take the winds you can get. Finished marking the trail, trail back to the plaza, Chestnut said, just in case we're chased and get lost. Oh, did you? Gum Baby said in an extra loud voice. Would you call those precautionary measures? Chestnut paused, then started to giggle. Yep, yep, I guess I would. I could feel Gum Baby's eyes lasering the back of my head. Okay, so what's next? I asked, trying to move on quickly. That's the entrance to Naomi's estate over there, Chestnut said, flicking her ears toward the far end of the plaza where two towering marble pillars marked an exit between them. Do y'all see that? Gum Baby asked. It's a gate, Ayana said. Gum Baby knows what a gate looks like. She's very familiar with them. That ain't no gate. It's Naomi's gate, Chestnut said. And that's where we're heading. Between the pillars, the air shimmered, gold flecks occasionally winking into existence like jeweled fireflies. The palace grounds beyond looked distorted, as if we were peering through frosted glass. We stopped in front of the pillars. 
Ayana looked at me, and I rolled my eyes and sighed. Leadership is tough, man. I hefted the empty satchel around my shoulders, took a deep breath, and stepped through the twinkling gate.